Well, let us give our attention now fully to God's Word as we hear the book of Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, all the way to the end of the chapter. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 to 33. Listen now to the re- reading of God's holy inspired Word. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets, She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn on my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not listen. I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. A very horrific tragedy took place in Seoul, South Korea, not very many days ago. A crowd of approximately 100,000 people were expected to gather in a relatively small street for a public celebration. Unfortunately, and apparently the authorities failed to prepare for such a massive gathering, and they did not have enough crowd control measures in place. Long story short, as time went on and more people joined in, some started to feel the pressure and started to push to have more room. In response to this pushing, other people started to push as well. Finally, the crowd exploded in itself, and many people were literally trampled over to death. The celebration quickly turned into a grotesque, shocking picture of agony and cries of affliction. Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, he analyzed the whole tragedy and he drew some very interesting observations. One of them was simply that people who find themselves trapped inside a big crowd, guess what? They tend to think and act in ways they would not otherwise when by themselves. For instance, in big crowds, people are not prone to be kind or gentle or patient. Ever been there? In other words, when you are in a big crowd, your thinking or the thinking of those in it becomes somewhat blended or absorbed into the whole, meaning everyone follows everyone else. One writer called this, quote, the madness of crowds. 
Everyone begins to go with the flow of the crowd, so much that eventually the, cl- the crowd begins to take a mind of its own, as another writer put it. And this was the essence of the problem in Seoul, South Korea, and why the tragedy happened. Mass hysteria took over, and soon enough, people were trampling on other people to death. You can probably imagine the scene. Pure mayhem. The stronger ones trampling on the weaker ones, and the whole thing must have looked like a living nightmare. It seems appropriate to conclude that when many minds are gathered together in such an event, they do begin to think as one big collective mind. And it is as though the crowd made up of many individual people becomes this one single living thing acting on its own. Each individual person becomes absorbed into the mass movements. This is, in my estimation, a good parable to how our world operates. We are constantly being tempted to think like the masses, to think like the big crowds, to go with the flow and simply follow along. And this is the stage upon which our passage is established in Proverbs chapter 1. One person called wisdom is standing above the crowds, calling over the crowds, a mass of people, all of whom are simply wanting to go about their business as usual. And yet, here is wisdom speaking loudly over the noise of the many. Here is wisdom speaking into the madness of the crowd, saying, stop, you are killing yourselves. Clearly, our passage presents the crowd as headed toward destruction. And the undeniable truth is that you and I, my brother and sister and my friend, we are constantly being exposed to the mind of the crowds, the thinking of the masses. Or as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, we are always being invited to follow the course of this world. We are always being told which direction to go, who to follow, what's acceptable and what is unacceptable. And herein lies the true relevance of our text. My approach this morning will be like peeling an onion, slowly removing the layers until we get to the substance. And as you will see, the more layers you peel back, the more clarity is given as to who is doing the talking and what's the point of it all. And it all begins with wisdom's great urgency. In verses 20 and 21, we see wisdom's great urgency. She cries aloud. She raises her voice. She speaks. By the use of these expressions, the Proverbs, the proverb wants, to, wants us to sense, to feel within us the reality of urgency. Urgency. That much is clear. Whatever wisdom has to say, it is a matter of great importance. It is a call to pay careful attention, not to dismiss what's being said. There is a heavy weight to it. Let me take you back to Seoul in South Korea and the recent tragedy. Imagine if you had been there, not in the crowd itself, but looking at it from a certain elevation. You were looking at this crowd from above. And suppose you had access to a microphone connected to speakers that ran through the entire street where the crowd was. What would be your immediate reaction 
at the sight of the crowd becoming restless and people being trampled upon? Would you whisper on the microphone, please stop, you're killing yourself? I hope not. More than likely, if you are a fully functional human being who is witnessing the impending demise of many people, you would yell at the top of your lungs and warn everyone to stop. This is because the intensity of our voice would be proportional to the danger of the situation. Likewise, if you see a burning house and someone inside fast asleep, you wouldn't just knock on the door because that's not the time for being polite. It is a time for crying out, for yelling, for raising your voice. The danger demands it. In fact, I would locate a passive response in the category of a crime. Therefore, through the language employed, the writer of Proverbs is conveying that the agenda behind wisdom is a matter of life and death. And it also implies that the crowds to which wisdom is speaking is set on walking on a certain direction. And it is not the right direction which yields the following insight for us. We are always, brothers and sisters and friends, we are always in need of an outside source to guide us and to show us the right path, meaning an objective source of truth and light. Why? Well, because we are always contending with an enemy. You mean Satan? Well, yes and no, but there is something else. I mean the heart, the heart which is deceitful above all else. The heart, as Robert Robinson said, is prone to what? To wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. In other words, the advice that says, trust your heart, follow your heart, is never good advice. Wisdom must come from the outside. And that's the first layer. Consider the next layer as we continue to peel back in search for the substance. Wisdom's public battleground. Wisdom's public battleground. Where does she cry out? Where does she go? Does she stay inside the temple? It says no. Streets, the markets, the noisy streets, the city gates. What's the point? This is very, very public. Everyone needs to hear what wisdom has to say. It doesn't matter what stage of life you find yourself in, whether married, single, young, old, educated, uneducated, a businessman, housewife, rich or poor, healthy or ill. The message of wisdom is for all, in all occupations, places, and ages. And notice this also. There is no mention of the temple here. Wisdom is intentionally going into the open, out in the public square, rather than staying confined to the physical structure of the temple. Wisdom cries out loudly in the streets, in the markets, in the city gates. It is interesting to see how wisdom is portrayed as a public speaker, wanting her message to be heard. Let me ask you this, and before getting to the root of the matter, consider with me the question, is this how Christians should want to operate in the world? I'm going to actually wait for an answer. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I ask this because I think some Christians, unfortunately, suffer from a syndrome I call stay out of it ism. 
stay out of itism. Don't say anythingism. The Christian message, according to some, should remain confined to the four walls of the church and the family, and that's the extent of it all. Beyond that, let's just keep to ourselves and let the world follow its own course. I strongly disagree. Speaking and warning about the dangers of a movement known as Christian nationalism, which, by the way, let me just be honest with you, I don't even understand what that means. I don't know what Christian nationalism is. But one writer who was speaking against it, he said that in our desire not to fall for any doctrine that seeks to turn nations into Christian nations as a matter of identity, we should not overreact to the opposite direction and remove all Christian influence from the public square of ideas. And with that, I strongly agree. I strongly agree. It was gospel conviction. Gospel conviction what led British politician William Wilberforce to fight against slavery for many decades, over three decades fighting. He was, as it were, the voice of wisdom speaking loudly and persistently for decades to end the evil of slavery. He used his political platform and influence to spread the Christian message loudly and clearly. You see, he didn't confine his Christianity to the church and the home. He took it into the streets, into the public square. Interestingly and ironically, in God's providence, Wilberforce was mentored by John Newton, who, the one who himself had been a slaver, who subsequently was saved by amazing grace, that sweet, sweet sound. We should not be afraid, brothers and sisters, to call evil, evil, and to do so publicly. Good, good, and to do so publicly. There's a pressure being exerted on Christians to stay quiet. Is there not? There is a pressure on Christians to stay quiet, and yet wisdom will have none of that. She will speak loud and clear. Consider the next layer. Wisdom's pointed question. Wisdom's pointed question. What have we seen so far? What's the first? Wisdom what? Yes, I didn't understand that, but I trust you. And the second was wisdom's public battleground. Here's the pointed question. Why won't you ponder the path of life? Why won't you ponder the path of life? Simple, the word simple in verse 22 here means foolishly. To be simple is to be a fool. To live simply, in this case, is to walk daily, please listen to this, is to walk daily without giving, giving thought to the weightiness of what it means to be alive in God's world and to be a creature made in God's image. And this, my friends, is serious, very, very serious. It is like the life of the adulterous woman described in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 6, the heart the core of her foolishness is that she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And so in direct connection to this, Solomon tells us in Proverbs 4, 26, to ponder the path of our feet, 
then all your ways will be sure. What does pondering mean? To ponder is to sense the weight of what it means to be alive. And not only alive, but to be alive in God's world, under God's rule, and for God's purpose. That's what it means to ponder the path of life. It is to understand that everything that we do does matter because my life under God's good design was not meant to be meaningless or to be thrown away. Simplicity is foolishness because it seeks to play games with something that is precious. To love being simple is to fail to sense the true weightiness of life in light of eternity. And when you think like the masses, when you think like the crowds, you hardly take time to stop and to ponder. You just go with the flow because there's just too much noise around you. Simplicity, then, in this specific context is akin to worldliness, meaning living through the physical senses and confining the value of life to the material exclusively. The simplicity of which Solomon's speaking here, then, is to live under the threefold and sinful grid of 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what it means to love being simple. It is to conclude that all that matters is to have my eyes satisfied, my fleshly desires fulfilled, and to feed the pride of life by setting myself rather than God as the sole and ultimate point of reference for everything I do. To love being simple is to live as if I am the center of my world, forgetting that I'm just a creature who will have to give an account to the Creator. Therefore, the call of wisdom is to pay attention to what? To that which is unseen, which is another way of saying that wisdom is calling us to what? To faith. To faith. Therefore, the call of wisdom is a call to consider the invisible, to stop the noise and say to yourself, I am more than just matter in motion. I am a soul whose destiny is eternal and who is accountable to one greater than myself. Wisdom says loudly and clear, stop and ponder. Ponder, have you considered this, my friend? Have you considered this, my friend? Have you considered the true weightiness of what it means to be alive in God's world today, to be a living soul? Have you stopped to ponder the path of life, the direction of your steps, the course of your ways? The fact that you are alive today has all the meaning in the world. If you're breathing this morning, has all the meaning in the world. You know why? Because one day, you won't be. One day, you won't be alive anymore. And every minute counts. The great American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, lived as a man dying. And you know, this is always true. I'm a man dying, speaking to a group of people who are also dying. Jonathan Edwards lived as a man who was dying. He thought much of death, not morbidly, but wisely, as seen in two of his resolutions. Resolution number seven, Edwards said, quote, resolved never to do anything 
Listen to this. Never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Let me ask you something. Would you sit in front of a computer screen to look at pornography if you knew you had an hour left before you stand before your Creator? Resolution number 17, Jonathan Edwards said, resolved that I will live, I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. My friend, you who are sitting there this morning, ponder this fact. You are an eternal soul and body. Yes, your life does matter, and it will matter for an entire eternity. How are you using what you have been given. Consider next wisdom's severe warning. Wisdom's severe warning. What is the warning? Let me give you a summary statement of verses 24 through 32. Here's the warning. One day, all hope will be lost. One day, all hope will be lost. If you ignore the call of wisdom, the words she extends to you today, one day you will face calamity and you will face terror, verse 26. You will face distress and you will face anguish, verse 27. And no relief will be given to you, verse 28, and you will forever reap what you sowed, verse 31. In other words, one day you will get what you've been wanting all along. And if you're walking in sin, if you're not Understanding the weightiness of life, what you have been wanting all along is this existence without God. An eternity away from Him. And if this is how we live, this is what we will get eternally. One day, all hope will be lost. What day is that? The day of which Hebrews speaks in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed for man to die how many times? Once, and after that comes judgment. We don't want to talk about judgment anymore, but it is coming. There is a severe warning. It comes with implacable force. Sin, my friend, listen to this. Sin is a real, it's a real offense against God. Judgment is a real event of the future, and hell is a real place of punishment, a place void of any hope, relief, joy, or love, and it is eternal, pure, unending misery, pure calamity, pure anguish, eternal, unending, insatiable. Consider your life. Consider your life. Judgment will come. Sin does have consequences. God is just. God is holy. Don't think you will be an exception. But thanks be to God, not all is judgment. Here's the next layer in our search for the substance, wisdom's gracious blessings. What are the blessings? Understanding and peace. With the warning of judgment, Definitive and real as it is comes also the promise of blessing. Blessing for those who heed the words of wisdom, who submit to her. In verse 23, we are promised the spirit of understanding. And in verse 33, we are promised the blessing of peace. And so, my brothers and sisters and my friends, we have arrived. Having seen wisdom's great urgency, public battleground, 
pointed question, severe warning, and gracious blessings, we are in a position to consider the substance. We have peeled all the layers. Now let's look at the glory of it all. Notice how wisdom has been personified, presented to us as a person. Did you notice that? It is a person speaking, walking, moving, warning, calling, and this by design. Now look with me at wisdom's true identity. Wisdom's true identity. No question about this. The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. A careful study of his life and ministry yields the undeniable conclusion that Jesus is the actual personification of the wisdom portrayed in Proverbs. I want to briefly point out to you that all the characteristics we saw of the wisdom in Proverbs 1, 20 to 33 are found in the person and ministry of the Lord Jesus. First, Jesus spoke urgently. Jesus spoke urgently. In fact, so urgent was his message that in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus says, Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may also preach there, for this is why I came. This is why I came. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, the Lord Jesus says, I must also preach the kingdom of God to the other cities because I was sent for this purpose. How urgent is the message Jesus came to proclaim? Well, he entered the world for that very purpose, to preach, to preach. He became a man in order to preach, to speak a message. That's an urgent message. Second, he spoke publicly. We already read how he said we must go to other towns or cities so I can preach. It was a public message. So, for instance, Jesus preached his his famous Sermon on the Mount precisely after seeing who? The multitudes. He saw the crowds. He saw the multitudes. Therefore, he preached. And it was to the multitudes that he spoke. And it was because of the public nature of his ministry that the leaders could hear him and also hate him. If Jesus would have kept his message private, he never would have died. He spoke publicly. Third, he spoke pointedly or penetratingly. Much like the personified wisdom of Proverbs who presented herself as the only alternative to foolishness and calamity, so too the Lord Jesus, when he came, he presented himself as the only way to life, the only way to life. To the woman of the well, to the woman of the well, he said in John chapter 4, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water, living water. And to the Pharisees, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 20, You refuse to come to me that you may have what? Life. Like the personified wisdom of Proverbs, Jesus presented himself as the life, strongly implying that to reject him is to die like the foolish people described in Proverbs chapter 1. Number four, Jesus spoke severely. Jesus spoke severely. Remember how wisdom said that one day those who refuse to listen to her will call upon me, but I will not answer. 
Likewise, Jesus said to his enemies in John chapter 8, verse 21, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. In verse 24 of the same chapter, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And in John chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus also said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Apart from him, there is no life, only death. Fifth and final, and thankfully, Jesus also spoke graciously. Oh, he spoke with grace. Perhaps the passage that serves to, as, as the best parallel between Jesus and the wisdom of Proverbs is John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. If you want to turn there, uh, I would advise you to do so, so you can actually read it and follow along as I read Consider how this passage brings this beautiful parallel between the wisdom of Proverbs 1 and the Lord Jesus himself. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. In that passage, we read the following. John 7, 37 and 38, on the last day. By the way, that's a beautiful noise. Pages turning. It's wonderful. But at some point you have to stop. So we can actually read it, right? Okay. John 7, 37 and 38, on the last day of the feast, the great day. Listen to this. Jesus stood up. Stood up. And what did he do? Cried out. Who also cried out? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus stands up in the middle of a crowd, the multitudes, and he cries out just as wisdom does in Proverbs. Hear me, come to me, pay attention. And he promises something specific, a river of living water. What is that? John tells us immediately in verse 39. Now this he, meaning Jesus, said about what? About whom? The Holy Spirit. What was the promise of wisdom in Proverbs 1, 23? If you turn on my reproof, behold, I will pour out my what? My spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Amazingly, Jesus is the wisdom of God in the flesh. One who also cried out, one who also spoke and called and warned and extended his grace. But that's not where it ends, for Jesus did something else. And here we come to wisdom's loudest call. Wisdom's loudest call. What is the loudest call of wisdom? The cross and the empty tomb. The cross and the empty tomb. On the cross, my brothers and sisters, on the cross, the wisdom of God hanged naked and in humiliation for the whole world to see. And the message was urgent. It was public. It was pointed. It was severe. And it was also gracious. Sin deserves to die. Jesus is the one who died. And just like in Proverbs, guess what some people did? Scoff. What did they do with wisdom in Proverbs chapter 1? Scoff. 
And here's Jesus hanging on the cross, and some scoffed at wisdom as Jesus, who is the very wisdom of God, hanged on that cross. Some mocked, scoffed, laughed at him, ignorant of the fact that on the cross, the one who hanged there was none other than God's very power to save, God's very wisdom to rescue them from hell and to save them. Christ, said Paul, is both the power and the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians 1.24, which is greater than the wisdom of the world because God, listen to this, in his wisdom, meaning in the person of Christ Jesus dying on the cross, he actually saves sinners through that death. What does the wisdom of the world say? What the philosophers, all of them say? We need to work our way up. God in his wisdom said, no, I will descend. I will go down in the person of my son. And I will save you by putting him on a cross. It is through that weakness, quote-unquote weakness of God, as Paul says, which is stronger than man. Through that weakness of death, God gloriously achieves his saving purpose. Jesus dying is, as John Owen said, the death of death. The death of death in the death of Christ. Death died when Jesus died. And on that cross, the wisdom of God extended his loudest call to all the world. For in that death, Jesus tells us that the only way to truly live life is by looking to him. Yes, the man dying because he died for our sins in order to reconcile us to God. Therefore, the cross is the heart of God's wisdom for in it we are saved. But then that death, the Bible says, gave way to life. The life of the one whose tomb was left completely empty forever. The one who died now lives. You know why life matters and everything you do matters? You going to church, going to work, going to vote. You know why it matters? Because there is one tomb. One tomb that is empty. There's one tomb that is empty. And now your life matters forever. Everything you do, because there is one tomb, empty. The one who died now lives, and he lives to God as a man, risen, exalted, and reigning in the heavenly places. And his word and spirit, he tells us to the whole world, listen to me. This is Jesus crying once again, like the wisdom of Proverbs. Jesus cries and says, listen to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This, my friends, is the call of wisdom, which leads us to wisdom's present command. Wisdom's present command, and we're almost done. You know, that means about 30 minutes or so, give or take. I'm kidding. We'll see. Repent and believe. Wisdom's present command. Repent and believe. Ultimately, to love being simple is to fail to recognize and believe that Jesus dying on a cross was for me. And so Christ Jesus, alive and reigning on the throne, asks you the same pointed question wisdom asked in Proverbs. How long will you love being simple? How long will you remain in your sins when you could come today to me, says Jesus, and be forgiven? Today is the day of repentance. Turn away from your sins and turn to Christ in faith. 
Believe in his name today. He is the wisdom of God, the wisdom by which you and I are saved. And that same wisdom, now incarnate forever. Have you, have you thought of that? God the Son has confined himself to a body forever. And he calls us by his Spirit, the same wisdom, now incarnate in Jesus, still speaks, he still cries out, and he tells you, turn away from your sins and come to me for life everlasting. And here's wisdom's future comfort. What is the future comfort of the wisdom of God? It comes in the form of a question. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death. Where's your sting? In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33, we read that wisdom comes with a promise. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. According to Romans chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the wisdom of God. If you listen to him, the Lord Jesus, the crucified and risen Son of God, then you will have no fear or dread of disaster. You will have peace with God. The greatest gift known to man is peace with the Creator, with God the Father. Only eight days before his death, by an illness that was consuming his body and quickly pushing him into the grave, Jonathan Edwards wrote these words. Quote, I, Jonathan Edwards of Stockbridge, first of all, I give and command my soul into the hands of God that gave it. And to the Lord Jesus Christ, its glorious, all-sufficient, faithful, and chosen Redeemer, relying alone on the free and infinite mercy and grace of God through his worthiness and mediation for its eternal salvation. And my body I command to the earth to be committed to the dust, hoping through grace, through the grace, faithfulness, and almighty power of my everlasting Redeemer to receive the same again at the last day made unto his glorious body. Eight days later. He died. Here's a man who heard, who believed in, who lived and died according to the wisdom of God. In the face of impending death, there was no dread of disaster, but only the peace of trusting in God's wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me give you just three brief practical calls or takeaways. Three practical things for you to think about and live according. Be courageous in the public fight for truth. Be courageous in the public fight for truth. In his confessions, Augustine defined happiness in this way. I like the way he defined it. He said this, quote, happiness is simply the enjoyment of truth. Happiness is simply the enjoyment of truth. Don't be tempted to believe the lie that says that happiness is found in the absence of suffering or in leading an easy, trouble-free life. That is not the case. Happiness, true blessedness, is found in living in submission to what we know to be true, even if that means facing persecution because of it, or suffering on account of it. In here, we see wisdom making her voice known and heard. Yes, there will be haters. 
Yes, there will be ones who hate wisdom and the voice of wisdom, just like people hated Jesus during his ministry. We live in a world in which the possibilities of being ostracized, mocked, and even hated for speaking the words of Jesus are more real than ever. But faith was never meant to remain concealed. Faith was never meant to remain concealed. Wisdom cried out loud. Be wise, but never be afraid of the hostilities of the world against the wisdom of God. After suffering for many years in his own ministry, a pastor was asked how in the world he managed to persevere for so long. He stayed in the same church for 54 years, and they were full of hostility against him. At the age of 71, he simply responded, quote, My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through the hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the prickling of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head, Jesus, has surmounted all his suffering and triumph over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory, end quote. You and I will be called names for the sake of Christ. People will misunderstand what we're saying. We'll be called haters, homophobic, and different names. We will be mocked and scorned. The question is, are you willing to live with that for the sake of Christ? Number two, be quick to listen to the word of Christ. Be quick to listen to the word of Christ. In other words, let the simple things, the basic things, let them be the main thing. Christ still speaks to us through his written word. To neglect the basics of scripture, reading and prayer is to risk much. Remember what I said, you, are all, you and I are always contending against the enemy of the unfettered heart. We're always contending against the enemy of the unfettered heart, the heart that is prone to wander away from God and his truth. Don't think it cannot happen to you. And lastly, be careful not to become complacent about your life. Be careful not to become complacent about your life. In Proverbs 1.32, it tells us that the complacency of fools destroys them. You become complacent when you become fully satisfied with yourself. Therefore, remind yourself of your ongoing neediness of grace and Christ and his word. You will never outgrow, you will never outgrow your dependence on Christ, the wisdom of God. Don't allow yourself to become a fool by thinking you have arrived. In this life, you never will. So, press on. Press on until the day when our faith gives way to sight. Until then, brothers and sisters, let us press on. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your many blessings we thank you for the call of wisdom and thank you for revealing to us that this wisdom is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for anyone in this room who has not yet come to believe and accept that call of the one who died upon the cross, the wisdom of God. Because through that man, through that wisdom, through that death, you offer us life. 
So we pray that the call of wisdom that has gone out this morning from this pulpit will be heard and that it will have its intended effect upon our lives. And now we pray that the Holy Spirit will do what only he can do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.